How's it going today, guys? We're back here live in the studio for an episode of Hot Takes with TP3. I'm your host, Thomas Penland, joined by none other than Ben Gorwitz on 420-2022. Ben, say what's up to the people. What's going on, everyone? Guys, Ben, glad to have you back on here, man. Um, I feel like they did the NBA a disservice by not putting Warriors Nuggets in Denver on tonight since it is 420. I feel like Denver deserves some sort of big event there for the big holiday. In the past, we have done the highest players in, in sports and things like that. Uh, no, I couldn't really think of anything funny for 420 this year. Um, but we do have a lot of stuff for y'all. We got a little NBA playoffs talk. We have um, some NFL. We and Ben are going to run through our top 10 um, rookies on the defensive side of the ball, or I guess they're going to be upcoming rookies. They're currently draft prospects. And then just kind of, so you know, some general NFL talk, and then we'll get out of here since there has been some decent breaking news. Um but anyway, Ben, um, first of all, I guess probably the biggest piece of news that's happened the entire NBA playoffs is we saw Devin Booker go out with a leg injury last night. Um, don't know how serious it is. All we know is he'll miss the next two games. I assume, Ben, you agree with me on this one and think that them not having Booker for the next two games, they should be able to handle the Pelicans fine. They should, but, I mean, it's it's a big loss. He's their best player. Mm-hmm. Um, it's And Brandon Ingram just went off last night, so – They'll, they'll adjust. Uh, it, it's a lot easier to win a game without one of your players when you're starting from 0-0 than it is when he just goes out in the middle of like one of the best games he's ever had. Um, that first half that he had was absurd. He was just a flamethrower from the field. So they'll adjust. The Suns are a great defensive team. They'll play better. Uh, they're going to have to get like Bridges and, and Cam Johnson and, and uh, Crowder are going to have to hit some more threes and CP3 will just lead the team and Aiton will do his thing. They'll be fine. They'll play better defense. So I I still think the Suns will win the series fairly easily. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I mean, we obviously had a little Scott Foster jinx last night. Ben texted me and he was like, I don't know if you saw or not, but Chris Paul hasn't won yet in the playoffs. Is Scott Foster ref in the game? I was like, oh yeah, that's exactly why I took the Pelicans. Um, Yeah, I agree with you on that one, Ben. 14 straight losses. (laughs) Yeah, 14 straight losses. I mean, I hope he can ref. And next time we ref him again, I guarantee you I'll be betting against him once again. But I mean, I've, if anything, I would hold Booker out of this series. I mean, the Pelicans might be able to take one more without Booker, but if your main focus now needs to be getting Booker healthy, they did play some of the regular season without guys in it, with guys in and out of the lineup all year long, and they proved they can win without him. I mean, I think Cam Johnson and Bridges can step up in this. You just play with more of a defensive lineup when you don't have Booker in there rather than the offensive. I mean, he had 34, it was 30 or 31 points at halftime last night. He's absolutely unstoppable for them. Um, you know, Ben, I've listened to, I've been listening to a lot of NBA talk and stuff, and one thing I've noticed is that everyone overreacts a ton. And, I mean, it's kind of tough to really go that in-depth about everything when the Celtics and Nets are going to play their second game tonight. Let's talk about that series real quick. Obviously, we saw Jason Tatum hit a buzzer beater. We saw the Kyrie antics flicking off the crowd. Um, watched first take go in-depth about six, for about six hours about Kyrie and the crowd and everything. Um, Ben, did you have you taken anything away from the series so far on who you think think has any kind of edge or anything, or you still think there's a lot of basketball to be played? There's a lot. There's a lot of basketball to be played, but I mean the Celtics are the better team, and they they were the mm-hmm. better team down the stretch in Game One, so not that shocking. I mean, KD. The one shocking part was KD did not shoot the ball very well. Doesn't happen very often. They're gonna, if they're going to take any game in Boston, whether it's Game Two, uh, or if it's Game. Um, they do is it six and seven would be in Boston, or I forget how, what the order is. No, they go. It's it'd be one and two, it's and two, then... two, one, one, one. Yeah. Um. So, 
what I mean, whatever games they need in Boston, KD's going to have to do his thing. I think Kyrie is just, I mean, no matter who's guarding him, he's just so skilled. He's going to get open shots. He, he's going to make his shots. I don't know if he's going to go nuclear like he did uh, in game one every single game, but KD will play better. So um, I'm expecting them to put up more of a fight. Their defense is just so bad down the stretch. Like they don't have a rim protector, really. Um, Drummond is, he's eh. He's a good rebounder, but Celtics have been just fine in the paint. Like Horford had a great game mm-hmm. in game one. Um, Tatum got Tatum and Brown can get to the paint on anyone. And then like Claxton was playing uh, to finish game one, and he can't protect. I know that he can block a couple shots, but he can't protect anything in the paint. So, um, I mean, the Celtics are the better team. They definitely have the edge. They showed they had the edge, but Kyrie was a special man game one. Yeah, Kyrie really was special. He brought him back from down 15 in the fourth quarter. I actually like Claxton out there better, though. I think Claxton has a little more versatility on defense. I don't think. Yeah, exactly. I think he's a little more athletic and he can cover on the perimeter because, you know, Horford was destroying Drummond on those pick and pops from three. I mean, everything he did, Drummond had no answer. I really think Drummond's the guy who needs to be kicked out of the Nets rotation in this series. I just feel like. Like, I'm not saying Drummond's a bad player or anything, but I just feel like this series is not built really for Andre Drummond as much. I feel like Drummond's more useful, you know, when you're playing, when you'll be facing Giannis if they can get to the next round or, you know, if they'll be facing Miami or they'll facing Philadelphia later on down the line if they can make it that far. Also think we really saw the difference in how inconsistent the officiating is in these NBA games. Durant was getting pushed down and touched a lot and knocked around. And even he was complaining about it a little bit. He's not saying that he wants to get every call. He just wants there to be consistency with the NBA refs, and he didn't really see any consistency. I thought that hurt a lot. But, I mean, Kyrie went off last game. If I had to guess, Durant's going to go off tonight. Kyrie will defer, defer a little bit to him. But, yeah, you know, I think I, th- I agree with everything you said, though, man. Boston's been the better team so far this series. They have all the mismatches. I have Boston coming out of the series. So, until I see anything otherwise, that's the way I'm swaying with this one. Um I feel like that the other series that, you know, that I really saw a lot and I feel like that is going to be a still going to be a dogfight to the end is Minnesota versus um, is the this Minnesota Memphis. and the Memphis series. I mean, yeah, Memphis blew him out last night. First of all, last night told me that Taylor Jenkins is a playoff head coach. You saw him basically Stephen Adams get two fouls off the rip, sit him on the bench. And you saw Carl Anthony Towns be able to do nothing. We've now seen two different matchups in the playoffs where Carl Anthony Towns has gotten against the Clippers where they put small guys on him. And now last night where Memphis put small guys on him and he's like, acts like a bull in the China shop. He likes those big men on that he's quicker than and he can get by and then they play off him and he can hit a shot rather than last night when he had the little guys on him. He can't seem to slip by him. It's almost like Naz Reed is better than him in those kind of situations. I think that these two teams are going to have to keep playing lineup poker and stuff. I expect D'Angelo Russell to play a little bit better at home. I think Memphis will still end up coming out of this one, but I still think the think that the uh, Timberwolves have got a couple things left up their sleeves. Yeah, last night was a uh, Timberwolves lost that game before they started. Memphis was mm-hmm. not going to lose both games at home. Um, so I mean, it is when they'll go back to Minnesota. The crowd was rocking when they played in the yep. in the playing game there, and dude, I mean, it's just like just add Anthony Edwards to the young stud list. I mean, this guy is just scores so easily. He, oh yeah, yeah. I think he had 20 in game two, but he shot like 40% from threes and he may have shot 50% from the field. Like dude just scores with ease. It's incredible. I, I think it'll be a tough series as well. Um, I think Memphis, I think Memphis wins in six. I don't think it goes to seven. If it I does, I, I, I think Memphis wins at home. Um, game seven in that crowd, that environment, I think job would go off. 
Yeah, Although he got hurt. He got did get banged up again. Yeah, he did get banged up, but he ended up coming back in, you know, so I think he's fine. I think everything's good to go. It's something he can play through. It's probably just like a contusion, which is basically a fancy word for a bruise or something like that. So I feel like it's not that big of an injury. The other two quick things I do want to hit on that I felt like needed need to be addressed in the playoffs here real quick. First of all, Ben, Warriors look like the Warriors again, man. You know, we had questions about Draymond. I know me and you both questioned it on past podcasts once he went down. We said the Warriors didn't look the same. I mean, they have Steph Curry coming off the bench, possibly the best six man ever. Jordan Poole, though, a guy I know that me and you have texted back and forth a lot. I don't know how much you've touched on him on the podcast. I know I've tweeted about him a good bit of times. Jordan Poole is one of the next great stars in the league. I mean, I'm ready to say, man, this guy is worthy, is all-star level player, in my opinion. It's almost like they want to bring him off the bench, but they can't find a spot for him. This new Warriors lineup of death is going to be crazy insane, and I think we're going to get the matchup we want, man. Suns versus Warriors. I mean, this Warriors team, that lineup is absolutely unreal. The fact you get Thompson, Curry, Poole, Draymond, and Wiggins all on the floor at the same time, that's going to be a force to be reckoned with. I think the Suns have a decent lineup to counter it, but still, though, Curry and Poole together is just absolutely unreal. Poole feeds off that home crowd, too. I do think the Nuggets are a little undermanned, and they're getting shown up here by the Warriors. I think the Nuggets are probably the worst team in the playoffs in the West. I think that just with how banged up they are and the fact they couldn't get their guys back, you know, it's not really their fault. But Jordan Poole's man has just gotten better as the season gone on. And his confidence is sky high. I don't think anybody wants to run into the Warriors at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's that death lineup for them. It's crazy when the worst player on the floor for the Warriors is the former number one overall pick in Andrew Wiggins. He's the worst person in that lineup. Insane. Um, um, you know, like the Nuggets, I know they miss them all year, but like not having Jamal Murray and, and Michael Porter Jr. playoffs, like, you know, that's you're averaging. That's like guys you can get you 15 to 20 a game yeah. average that. So listen, it, it, I don't understand. Like I was ranting about it on Twitter today. It's like every, every, after every Nuggets game, and I get it, they're down 2-0. They're probably going to lose 4-1 in this series, if not 4-0. They're like, oh, Jokic this, Jokic that. The MVP voting has already been voted. It's The votes are cast people. I, we do this every single year in sports where like, some guy who's in the MVP race just struggles in the postseason. It doesn't matter. And like Jordan Poole, everyone's like raving should have been most improved player. He wasn't this good in the regular season. I'm not saying he was bad. He wasn't 30 a game what he's doing right now, shooting like 60% from threes. I do agree with that. But see, I also think too, with kind of, you know, the most improved in the league, like – First of all, I think it's absolutely disrespectful that John Morant's on the most improved list. You know, yeah, John, he was John great Morant, last year. <laughs> yeah, and he was a borderline like all star last year. This year, he got to be an all star. You know what I mean? Like, in my opinion, the most improved is like, for example, Jordan Poole played his first year in the league in the G League, and then right. I mean, he still he averaged. Could be in I think, like, but I don't think he would have won it. It's just like people are just like it's just recency bias. He's going off right now, so no. he's like, oh, look, look what he look what he's doing. It's like I get it, but the votes have already been cast, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. He was kind of doing this as the season went. I do agree. So, like, he played well as the season started. Then he kind of got lost in the Clay Thompson comeback. And then since Curry got hurt, and then also, you know, a little bit before Curry even got hurt, kind of when the Warriors started surging again with Draymond out, it's because Poole started to get his minutes again and started playing well. I do agree with you, though, that he has become, like, more – it's become more, like, publicized his success recently. So I definitely yeah. get that with you. But, no, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like, if it's not going to be Jordan Poole, it's got to be Darius Garland for sure. You know, like, because Darius Garland's also another guy. I mean, he was a decent player, but now he's an all-star level guy. I mean, John Morant was already good. He was probably, like, 
the one or he was probably like one or two spots off, you know, from being an all star. Now he's uh, moved up even more. Like, I feel like John Morant being on there is just disrespectful to him and his brand. Even John Morant said, like, when he was nominated for the award on Twitter, he's like, Desmond Bain should be on this list, not me. So, yeah. Desmond Bain should have been on the list. Exactly. You 150% should have. So I but agree. But like Maxi, I mean, like, who who was who was up for it again? It's it Maxi, ja, yeah, Maxi, Garland, and um Ja Morant. Yeah, I don't know how Maxi doesn't win it, but I mean, I, I would be fine with Garland winning it, but like yeah. I, I think Desmond Bain should have been a candidate, and I think I, I would be fine with Jordan Poole being a candidate. Everyone was just like he is the most improved player. I was like, he's not. <laughs> I can name three guys that deserve it just as much as him. Yeah. And, and, and Garland, uh, Maxi, and um, and Desmond Payne. So it's like, yeah, he's. it's just recency bias. He's going off right now. Yeah, and also, too, like, the reasoning for having Maxi on there is he made a big second-year leap. Desmond Bain did the exact same thing. So, I mean, I don't know. It, it feels like job. Maxi's been just... the second-best player on his team. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, I think that Harden, I think that his, I just feel like that he, his legs, I feel like he played a lot of minutes, you know what I mean? And his explosiveness is not what it used to be. Like James Harden used to be able, you know, to put one on your head he's just as yeah, easily he's as still, anybody He's league. a great facilitator. He's just mm-hmm. not shooting the ball that well. But, like, he's making impact plays. He is actually playing some defense. But, like, Maxie's been there. He's hit so many big shots and just big moments mm-hmm. with the Sixers all year. And, I mean, if it's not Embiid, Maxie can get a bucket whenever he wants right now. No, I agree with you completely. I think Maxie's the second option offensively on that team over James Harden just because, I mean, James Harden doesn't have that quickness anymore. And, you know, when you don't have that quickness anymore and your game is based off quickness, it's tough to still score. Like, even Chris Paul doesn't really score like he used to. He just gets a ton of assists, and that just goes to show you how good of players guys like Harden and Paul are that they can adapt their game to become more facilitators than they need to Harden's, get you a bucket guy. Harden's contract is going to be like Albert Pujols. He's, he's going to get a big mm. deal. He's going he's gonna to age terribly. Yeah, I think he has one more one more year left on that big deal. Opt- is. Yeah, because I think he opted in. Yeah, I mean, he'd be dumb not to. He's making like $47 million. He's not going to get more. I mean, he can still get in the 30s, but he's not going to get $47 million again without opting in. Um, last topic I think we need to hit on real quick here before we go over to our football side of things. Ben, I want to talk about our Hawks real quick. First of all, did you, was it just me or did it feel like that nothing went our way call-wise? Like, the first game, look, I get it. We came out a little flat. Um, we did Calls didn't go our way. We came out a little flat. It is what it is, game one. You know, we had just played two big games and got two big wins in a row. But yesterday's game, man, I mean, it felt like Jimmy Butler was getting touch fouls called. Like, the foul calls, yeah. the, like, the, like that Kyle Lowry-DeAndre Hunter play was absolutely ridiculous. If they had called the one where Kyle Lowry stole the ball from Hunter on the inbounds and he fouled him where he, like, accidentally hit, brushed him in the face, if they had called that one a technical foul, I think I would have had to book a plane ticket out to Miami to beat somebody's <laughs> ass. Yeah. Um, the – I think it was the fifth foul on DeAndre Hunter where he literally was standing in the paint with his oh arms up gosh. and Jimmy Butler just jumps into him. It's like, I mean, that's absurd. The Kyle Lowry one I have so many issues with. It's so blatant and clear and obvious, whatever word you want to use, that he just sprints up the court and, like, lodges his arm into Hunter. And then he, like, uh, their feet tangle up. That happens in basketball. And then he falls and makes it look worse. And, listen, the double tag – I think it was warranted. DeAndre Hunter got in his face. They were both were in each other's face. Lowry was even even after yeah. Tech walked all the way to the Hawks bench to still talk. I think the double Tech was warranted. The foul wasn't. 
which you wouldn't get the double tech without the foul. It was ridiculous that that was even called. The other end of it is the Hawks just aren't as good as last year, no, and especially not. without especially without Capella in a series like this. You know, I was I was watching the game with my dad. The Hawks are down one or down two at halftime in game two, and they shot sixty seven percent from the floor, and they were down. My dad looks at me. He goes, "How do you shoot sixty seven percent from the floor?" And you're losing. My dad was like, that's like what Villanova was shooting against UNC, right? He's like, I almost texted my friends and I was like, honestly, if I were you, I would live bet the Sixers. You mean alternates. the Heat? I mean, sorry, the Heat. Because if the Hawks shoot 67% in the first half and they're losing, they're not going to shoot 67% in the second half, which means yeah. they're not going to score as many points. So that's what it ended up being. Listen, they fought hard. Um, they got to, they got to, I mean, Keiko down 3 0. So they, they got to get it going. Trey was a little bit better. He still looks chaotic on the offensive end, making wild passes. I don't know why the Hawks can't inbound the basketball all of a sudden. Oh it's like they don't. Gosh. It's like they don't look where they're throwing the basketball. Um, listen, they got to play smarter. But the fact that Trey got a little more confidence, DeAndre Hunter's been spectacular. Uh, I think a lot of Hawks fans have been really hard on him, um, really since he came back from injury, but because he yeah. gets injured so often, bogey. Bogey was hot. So, I mean, listen, Collins looks pretty good coming back from his injury, playing a lot of minutes, played 20 minutes in his, in his first game back, which was I thought was very impressive. I think the Hawks get it done in game three. They play very well at home. Um, if they get game three, game four is going to decide everything. If it goes 3-1, it's over, going back to Miami. And th- their defense, listen, they're the better team. They're the better coaching. They're the better everything. But the Hawks play very, very well at home. Yeah, I agree with you completely on that, Ben. I mean, I think the biggest thing about the Heat is, and the calls will the calls will turn around. I mean, listen, the Hawks will get some touch fouls when they play at home. You'll see it change. That's the last thing I'll say. Go ahead. Yeah, well, my my beef with the officiating is, look, the Heat are definitely better than us. I'm not going to argue that we're better than the Heat. I said before the series started, I thought it was a five, six, maybe six game series if we can get lucky. Just give us a chance. We don't even really have a chance when the calls don't go our way like that. But I think the thing is with the Heat is the Heat's p- top three players, Adebayo, Butler, and Lowry, are all huge defensive guys. Not to mention you got P.J. Tucker and Martin. I mean, obviously you'll have a shooter between Struess and Robinson. But the majority of these guys that are on the floor for Miami, they are all pride themselves on the defensive end of the floor. And I think the Hawks are used to those lazy amounts pass you can throw against teams like the Hornets, you know, or like the Rockets or like the the Cavs. You know, you can't do shit like that when you play against this Miami Heat defense. They're all dogs. And that's and they where they thrive. Yeah, exactly. And they thrive on the defensive end of the floor. I personally think that they pissed the Hawks off a little bit last game. I mean, I don't think we're as good. I think we're done in five. I think we win game three at home, but I think after that, that's it. But Hawks are a candidate to make a big move in the offseason, but I promise you all we'll table that talk until then. Ben, any final words before we go over to a little football? No, let's go to football. Let's do it. So, guys, last week we did our top eight wide receivers slash running backs. We also did the top our top five QBs as well. Um, that, so that, that means that this week we're going to focus on the defensive side of the ball rather than breaking down position by position. We both went ahead and took out for y'all our top 10 players defensively, um, ranked them one through 10 here. I think me and Ben will have some pretty different lists here. Ben, I'll let you go first, my friend, start us off with your 10th guy. So before we start, uh, two things. One, did you rank your list on where you think they'll get picked or like how, like, like, my number one guy on my list 
is my best defensive player in this draft. I don't think he's going to be the first overall pick or the first defensive player. Yeah. Taken. So that's how I did mine. Is that how you did yours? Yeah, I did the so like, exact a, like same a player, thing. like a player ranking, power ranking. Okay, just make sure we're on the same page here. And then my other shout out, um, I don't have him on my list. I, I would, I think you would as well. Um, I, I think he deserves a shout out, David Ajabe from the linebacker from Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel bad for from for kids like this. He was projected top ten, top fifteen to max picked this year in the NFL draft and unfortunately tore his Achilles in the pro day. Um, that's going to hurt his draft stock. I think he still projected a first round pick. So that would be great news for him. I think he deserves a shout out because he is an absolute stud. He played on the opposite end of Aiden Hutchinson, who obviously got all the hype in college football and still made a name for himself. I, I think he deserved a shout out. So I'll give him that. I'll start with number 10. Uh, I'm staying at Michigan. I'm going to go Daxton Hill, the safety from Michigan. Okay. This was a guy that uh, was committed to Alabama originally and then ended up flipping. And he is a very, he plays a very popular position in the NFL. He plays that hybrid safety. Yep. Role. He can come down and play the linebacker. He can guard the slot receiver and he can play safety with the range. He's just a really overall good football player. I know myself included, a lot of Alabama fans were pissed that he uh, decommitted and went elsewhere, kind of rooting against them. And, I'll give him a lot of credit. He played well at Michigan in, in most games, and uh, he's going to find himself being a pretty high pick in this first round. That's a like a remember like Xavier McKinney from Alabama went pretty yeah. high in the draft. Tyron Matthew obviously he wasn't the first one to do it, but really made this position like get more attention in the NFL, just lining up all over the field and just making plays. So um, the the Vikings safety uh, Harrison Smith does yep. this all the time now comes down and blitzes and plays the linebacker, plays safety. So you got to be versatile as a safety nowadays. And I'll go with Daxton Hill at number 10. Yeah, I have Daxton Hill at number seven for all the reasons you said. Another guy too, Ben, that you didn't think of was uh, Isaiah Simmons as well. From yes. Clint. Yeah, for the for Arizona, he's one of those guys. But yeah, you hit the, the nail Buda on the head, ba- man. Like Buda Baker does it. A lot mm-hmm. of guys do it. Yeah, especially with like how the tight end position is transformed so much in the NFL. Teams are really kind of like we said, you know, it's almost like playing basketball. The way they try to get these mismatches with their tight ends in the middle of the field and throw to them. Guys like this make you not able to get that because they can tackle these guys and handle and wrap them up easily. But also, too, they're just as fast, just as quick, just as athletic as these tight ends are. So they make it even tougher to do stuff like that. But, yeah, I have Daxton Hill at number seven, actually, on my list. I think this Michigan defense is really good. I think them and Georgia probably are going to have the most defensive guys drafted by far throughout this draft. I think we're both are going to talk about a lot of these guys here from two of the best defenses in college football all season long. But, yeah, I think he's very versatile, like you said. So that's why I had him down at number seven. Um, at number 10, I actually had a Georgia guy. I might be a, might have him a little low on my list here, but I have him to Kobe Dean, linebacker. This guy's an absolute playmaker. I mean, if you watched a Georgia football game, you knew who he was instantly and you sensed his presence. He makes tackles and plays all over the field. Reminds me a lot of like a Bobby Wagner, Roquan Smith type guy. You're going to hear his name called early and often. He's going to be in on just about every single play that takes place, whether it's around the line of scrimmage or down the field. I think he's a humongous playmaker just all across the field, and I think he's the prototypical guy you want in the NFL these days. He can cover in the pass, and he can also come up and stop the run. Yeah, I mean, he just turned on the tape on him. He's everywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll talk about him a little bit later. I have him a little bit higher on my list. So I'll go to number nine. I'm going to go to a former Georgia player and coming out of FSU, you're, you're, uh, the school that you root for. Okay. Jermaine Johnson, Jermaine Johnson, the second defensive end, edge rusher. 
just a huge frame for an edge rusher, really long arms uh, that he uses to his advantage with the swim move on the pass, on the pass rush. Really came to light. He didn't do a ton at Georgia, but you got to remember Georgia, Georgia's defensive line is everyone is a four or five star top recruit, right? So it's like it even took Nolan, uh, Nolan Smith from Georgia a couple years to to really like be the center, you know, the center piece. Mm-hmm. Jermaine Johnson was a start at Florida State. Absolutely wreaked yep. havoc on, on ACC offensive lines. And I have him at number nine. Um, you see a lot, I feel like we see a lot of like long armed, pretty tall, like defensive ends coming out. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I, I almost think of this guy, like, I think you could put weight on him and almost remember like DeForest Buckner from Oregon, like the six, seven yeah. frame. Like he, they put weight on him. He kind of plays inside now, but I think Jermaine can play anywhere. And uh, I think he can be pretty effective. People are going to compare him to the Clowney frame. I yeah, don't think don't think anyone should be compared to Clowney. What he was coming out of college, but uh, definitely not. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually had Hill at eight, not seven, because I actually have Jermaine Johnson on my list at seven. Um, watched a lot of Florida State games. I've seen a lot of good pass rushers come through Florida State. He's one of the better ones, though, I think that I've seen in my time. Really one of the most dominant ones I've probably seen since we won that national championship when we had Timmy Jernigan playing nose up the middle. I feel like he's really the most dominant D-line player I've seen since then come through Florida State. And we've seen a lot of guys like Brian Burns, um, Josh Sweat, all those guys. This guy... I don't know how he come and see the field of Georgia. That is because to show you how stacked that defense is. If anything, ran a four five one forty at two hundred and seventy two pounds. He's like six foot four. I mean, this guy's a freak. This is exactly what all NFL teams want and need. He makes plays all over the field, though, man. Defense offenses were centered in on keeping him out of plays and making him a non factor, and he still found a way to be a humongous factor on the field. He is a motor, too. I feel like when the tough gets going or, like, when you need a big play, he's going to be the kind of guy that's going to make it. I think he's going to tear teams up on third down in the NFL. I have him ranked at number seven here. I would not be shocked to see him go inside the top ten on draft day. Kind of reminds me of – remember Montez Sweat from Mississippi State? I do. Kind of reminds me of, like, that body frame. No, I agree with you completely. I think he's a freak of nature. I think he matches up well with a lot of those guys. Um, For me at number nine – I went with the big man from UGA, Jordan Davis. We all know what he did in the 40 time, how he ran faster than a lot of quarterbacks. Um, I'm honest. I feel like Jordan Davis could maybe end up going pretty high in this draft, but I just have him at nine because he's an interior pass rusher. I feel like when you're taking defensive players early in the draft, you know, you really want to get those corners and those edge rushers because they're harder to come by. There's a couple, there's a decent bit more guys that can eat up blocks, but I think Jordan Davis can do a lot of the same what he did at Georgia. He's going to be in the middle of your defense. He's going to eat up blocks. He's going to make plays. He's going to wreak havoc when the team doesn't try to block him. They try to get out on the edge and things like that. I think he's an athletic freak, and I think he's your prototypical interior defensive lineman for the NFL. I think Jordan Davis is going to be a freak in the league i have him on here at number nine yeah i would i would imagine he's gonna be very good in the nfl i'll talk about him on my list uh in a, in a few but uh for number eight for me i'm gonna go with uh devin lloyd the linebacker out of utah okay unbelievable tackler i i think he he almost reminds me of like 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 patrick queen out of lsu i think is pretty similar like a guy that's really not gonna miss tackles He's mm-hmm. really, really good against the run. He just needs to improve a little bit in space, like in coverage. But if he's just going to be a middle linebacker, that like he, this guy's, this guy could call plays probably immediately. Um, I was reading about him, and like I've listened to Kirk Herbstreit about him. They say his yeah. intelligence is off the charts. So um, that's kind of a theme. I'll talk about another linebacker next with intelligence, but like 
Devin Lloyd, it's, I think he's plug-and-play guy right away. Yeah, I actually don't have Lloyd on my list, but I agree with you on that one, Ben. I mean, you got, you, saw, you saw how good the Utah defense was all the years that he was there. I mean, this guy comes – Utah breeds defensive players. I think anybody who comes from that defense is a great pick here. Um, I've already done everybody I have all the way down to number six, so I'll let you go again. I'll, yeah, I'll go uh, – sorry, I mean, I just hinted at it. Number seven, I have Nicobe Dean. I, okay. I have him just slightly better than Devin Lloyd. Um, intelligence is off the charts with him. I mean, you could literally turn on the tape. He's pointing out yep. where the play is going to go, and he still beats everyone to the spot. He can cover tight ends. He can even cover some running backs in the backfield. So you already touched on most of them with him. I just wanted to talk about his range and, and his intelligence. You pretty much hit everything else. I think Nicobe Dean's going to be really, really good for someone. And a guy, once again, can come in and call plays right away if you need him to. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely on that one, Ben. Um, let's keep moving here. Uh, give us your, your number I'm at seven six now. Oh, you're okay. Since we're at number six, I'll go ahead and go. Look, might be a little bit lower on this guy than some other people are. I'm going with Trayvon Walker though from Georgia. Look, Walker was a part of this interior defensive line along with our board Jordan Davis. And look, no disrespect, he might end up being the number one overall pick. I think he's a freak. I think a lot of it, though, is also potentially ranked. I mean, when you look at him, he's six foot five, 272. He's fast. He's quick. He's agile. He can do everything. He can make all the plays you want at the offensive line. He can get after the quarterback, blitzing up the middle. I think Walker can really do everything. I just feel like that there's other guys that I would probably take before him for all the reasons I said. I think interior offensive linemen are big, but unless you're Aaron Donald, I don't think you should go that high in an NFL draft. I actually have the exact same player in the exact same spot. Wow. <laughs> Let's go. Um, I mean, he he was great at Georgia. It, he wasn't overshadowed by all the rest of the talent there. Um, his production, like numbers-wise, it's not like right right there, but it's it's pretty much on par with, with what you would expect. I think he's just coming alive in the, uh, like the late process. So, you know, I, I – I think I think he's going to be good. I just don't know if you would take him one or two overall. Yeah, see, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, I was even listening to some guys, like some NFL. I was trying to listen to some football talk today. You know, listen to some guys break down the draft and stuff. And even they were kind of agreeing with like what me and you are saying. Like, yeah, he's a beast and all, but do you really take him number one overall over all these other guys? Also, too, like teams kind of factor him when they're taking draft picks potential. Like, he has a lot of the potential. You know, like he saw a lot of things, but at the same time, like you kind of know what you're going to get from these other guys. You know what I mean? Like, they just they feel like that there's a lot of like interest interesting factors going into it and teams are like overthinking it which I kind of agree too I think there's two pretty obvious defensive line guys who should be the top two taken yeah and and I'll just take it from there I have a tie at number five okay I, I don't I don't know how you separate them and I think one of them is more talented and better than the other uh-huh. but everyone else seems to think the other guy both of one of these guys could go number one overall I have a tie between Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon and Aiden Hutchinson. From okay. I, I think Aiden Hutchinson will go earlier than five. I just, I, he had games where he got dominated. Like tur- you turn on, you turn on the Georgia tape. Yeah. Georgia had a tr- true freshman that was just putting his ass to the ground. And I'm not saying that's like, it's one game. That's fine. And Georgia's true freshmen are different than most true freshmen around the country, the way they recruit. It's one game. I don't think that's a negative. My only thing is, like, 
where was Aiden Hutchinson the other years? I never heard about this kid before this past year. Same. Did you? No. And it's like Mich- and Michigan has an unbelievable defense, and they have for years now. So I'm not buying into, like, the one-hit wonder should go number one overall. Like, Kayvon Thibodeau was – he was essentially the LeBron James of high school football. Yeah. The way he was. Yeah. I mean, then he goes to Oregon and he dominated his true freshman year, had a decent amount of injuries his sophomore year. And then this past year he was dominant once again. So everyone's like Aiden Hutchinson, this Aiden Hutchinson, that I think Thibodeau is right up there with him in terms of talent. People are like his weaknesses. He doesn't go hard every single play. I think he's going to have a pretty good motor in the NFL. Your goal is to get to the NFL you can't try every play in the NFL, you don't deserve to be in the NFL. It's as simple as that when it comes to me. So if that's Kayvon Thibodeau's only weakness, I'll, I'll take him over Aiden Hutchinson. And someone was like, someone from Pro Football Focus was like, Aiden Hutchinson might be better than the Bosa brothers or more athletic. Let's hold the phone. <laughs> Joey oh, Bosa what? was like, oh, yeah, I mean, Joey Bosa like, was like almost breaking um, like college football sack records in college. Like Will Anderson was like, passing him on list and then he got to like the Derek Brooks but like yeah let's hold the phone I'm like Nick Bosa is like one of the best uh rush uh you know rushers in the NFL like and Joey Bosa is not that far behind him so let's cool it on that that's what I'm saying dude Nick and Joey Bosa I mean you could argue both guys are freaks they you could argue his- right you could argue right behind Aaron Donald Nick Bosa gets to the quarterback better than anyone else Absolutely. I mean, him, TJ Watt, like he's an elite status. Yeah, and Joey, there. yeah, yeah. And jo- Joey Bosa's maybe like three people behind him. Look, I think Aiden Hutchinson's good. At the same time, you can't look past, though, him getting dominated by Georgia. This entire defense got dominated by Stetson freaking Bennett. I know they have a big old offensive line. They pushed him around, but that's what he's going to go up against every single week in the NFL. I still think he's going to be good. I think he's going to figure some of it out. You know, I think a lot of it was Georgia had a lot of time. You know, they were able to scheme and plan around him. But I agree with you, Ben. You didn't hear about him coming up all the time. I actually had him in the same spot as you did. I had, or sorry, I had Hutchinson at four, and I had Thibodeau at three. I put Thibodeau in front of him for all the reasons you said, Ben. I mean, this guy's literally like the LeBron James of his position. Like, we heard about him all the time. They might say trying wasn't a thing. Think about JV with Jadavion Clowney. After we saw him as a freshman, he just kind of chilled. Like, you know what he I mean? Tasted. He Yeah, he didn't want to get hurt. And Thibodeau battled some injuries when he was at Oregon. And I think he was kind of like, look, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go get the bag, get my big money in the NFL, and then I'll play even harder then. You know, I feel like that's part of it. And also, too, whenever I watched an Oregon game, I knew when Thibodeau was on the field. There's multiple times where I didn't know Hutchinson was on the field or not. That factor for me is what really separates me putting one guy in front of the other. I'm not a fan of taking a defensive edge rusher number one. Like, number one overall, I need you to change my franchise. Mm -hmm. I don't know if a I don't know if a defensive end does that. I think an offensive lineman could do it because he helps your quarterback improve. I think an edge can. You think? I mean, maybe maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I mean, like I would Nick Bosa went early and Joey Bosa went early. So I mean, plenty of guys just like I don't know. Like if you're gonna be a number one overall pick and be a defensive end, you better get double digits. You can never pass your rookie year, but most years after that, you need to be a game record every single game. And I feel like that's a lot of pressure on defensive ends. It definitely is. I mean, you think about some of the guys you panned out. You think about the Bosa brothers. You think about Khalil Mack. You know, you think about, I guess, Chase Young had a good rookie year, and then he got yeah. hurt, you know? So, like, you think about guys like that. And I can think of plenty of guys who didn't pan out, like Vic Beasley is just the first one I'm going to name off the top but of like, my head. But I mean, I there's, think- guys, there's guys who are, like, really good. But, like, I don't, do you remember where Jonathan Allen from Bama went? Like, he's been really good in the pros, and he got a big-time contract. Yeah. 
is he like a game wrecker every single play? I, maybe he. I mean, on the on the defensive line, he is with now. He is because it's all first round picks. Can't double team him, but like, I feel like more people have bigger impacts than. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but. Yeah, no, I mean, you're definitely not wrong. You're like Jonathan Allen's good. He's had a really good start to his young mm-hmm. career. I don't know if he's I don't he's not like Khalil Mack or Bosa is like he's not that good. Yeah, see the the thing is though, I think that helps Hutchinson and Thibodeau be the top picks in this draft class and be the top guys. See same thing even with Trayvon Walker is their size. You know, like you look at a lot of the pass rushers who don't perform well in the NFL. It's guys like, you know, Vic Beasley who's in between a hand in the ground and a stand-up edge rusher. You know what I mean? Like Khalil yeah. Mack obviously worked out out of all of them, but when you think about all the other guys we named, pretty much every single one of them are hands down, you know, put their hand in the ground, big physical, quick guys right. that are gonna come off the edge. So I feel like these guys like, honestly, I would still probably take Hutchinson with the first or second pick in the draft. But do I would I mean, they take, don't need it. They don't need that much offense. The Jags, if we're being honest. Yeah, they, well, they can honestly, use an offensive lineman. But yeah, well, actually, let's talk about who we think the Jags should take first after this is over. I think that's a decent debate we should have for sure. Let's definitely let's table did you, that. Did you say your did you say your number five? No, uh, no, actually, at number five. I have Derek Stingley. Um, yes. yeah. I might have probably should put uh, should have put Stingley a little bit higher on this list, but Stingley's another one of those guys. I mean, he played on that LSU national championship game team as a freshman. He was absolutely locked down. Um, this guy has great ball skills. I mean, he is the prototype corner you're going to see in the NFL. He battled some injuries, probably didn't really care that much either because he was ready to go ahead and move on to the NFL because LSU, quite frankly, wasn't winning another national championship as they did when he's a rookie. This kid has put everything together. I just value these pass rushers a little higher because of what I was saying about the prototype NFL size. But I think Stingley's going to go inside the top eight, and I think he's going to be a game changer and a shutdown corner and be one of the best in the league. He'll be a Matt, he'll be a top paid guy at his position when he's due for his next deal. Yeah, and I actually skipped him over. I have him at seven. Okay. Um, all the things you said. The only thing I'll disagree with is he got to wear the number seven at LSU, and that's a tremendous uh-huh. honor. Um, I don't think you can get number seven and just not care about the season, uh-huh. even if your team sucks. That's the only thing I'll say. And like Bama fans will be like. Well, Devontae Smith cooked him. He cooked, yeah. I mean, Devontae Smith cooked everyone. But Devont, they, they did a trick play. The famous play that you'll see Alabama people do is the one Devontae Smith's lined up. I'll tell you exactly what it is. Lined up on the left side of the field on the left hash. Alabama, you know how teams in college and in the pros, but really mm-hmm. college, and when they're calling an audible, the whole team looks to the left as or, or to the right, wherever your coach is. The whole team looked to the left, and they did a silent snap. So when Bama and Devontae Smith looked to the left to get a new play call, Stingley looked at his coach to the right, and they did a silent snap. So when they snapped it, Stingley wasn't looking forward. He was looking for his coach to give him a new play or an audible or any kind of adjustment, and Devontae Smith took off. It was a great play call by Alabama. It was. It had nothing to do with Stingley sucking. He's a tremendous corner. That's the only thing I'll add. He's a stud. Yeah, also remember this too. They were completely outmatched in that game. I'll never forget. I cast a very big first half bet on Alabama in that game, but I mean they were completely outmatched in that game. Um, yeah. So I've already said so I'm a, four. Yeah, I'm on. Uh, three. I'm on. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on three basically because okay. I had Thibodeau and, and Hutchinson as a tie. Okay. Who you, you rocking with? Yeah, I got. You. I got um, Ahmad Sauce Gardner. Okay. Okay. You, Let's talk you about go him. Th- Three years as a starter, not giving up a touchdown is just ridiculous. And then he guarded Jamison Williams very well in the college football semifinal game. So 
I think the stats pretty much speak for itself. His speed is ridiculous. I mean, he he's a, he's voted as the best press coverage corner, which is big in the NFL, which means he's not afraid to get physical with a lot of receivers, even if they're bigger than him. I think that's a huge advantage coming into the NFL when you're already good at press coverage. Um, I've seen a lot of videos over the years with Nick Saban, how he teaches. And on press coverage, you put your arm out right away. And you just basically ride him until he makes a move. Then you just move your feet and, and, and use your speed. I'm on Sauce Gardner does that better than anyone. That literally came from Nick Saban's mouth. He said when I turned on the film, his his physicality at the line of scrimmage was tremendous. So he's going to go really high in this draft and deserve it. So. Yeah, I actually have him at number two on my list, Ben. For all the reasons you just said, man, I feel like that there's a certain point in time where that you don't allow a, a, a touchdown like that your entire college career. You don't do that off luck. That's off pride. This guy took pride every single time he came in on the field. And wh exactly what you said, Ben, we saw him the one time that he went up against like what he's going to see every single week in the NFL. And he absolutely balled out. Moment did not look too big for him. I mean, he's playing at Cincinnati. He's not playing at LSU. He's not playing at Alabama. He's playing at Cincinnati. And he didn't give up a touchdown the entire time. He has not only to go along with everything he has, he has pride. And he clearly has the work ethic, too, because he didn't end up – he didn't get offers from the big-time schools like that. He's a Cincinnati boy. He's an Ohio boy. His kid's going to come in. He's going to work hard. I think he will probably be the best cornerback in the, in the league at some point in time. That's why I have him ranked number two on this list. Did you have three? Um, at number three, I had Thibodeau. So four, I had Hutchinson, five, Stingley. All I have left is my number one. Ben, who do you have at number two? I got Kyle Hamilton, safety okay. from Notre Dame. For the same reasons I talked about Daxton Hill, it's just Kyle Hamilton's better at everything. He's a versatile safety. This guy can literally do everything. Runs, run stuffing, run tackling. Um, he, I'm not going to say my comparison because it's, it's pretty egregious. It's like, I'll be quick on this. The Braves broadcast booth was comparing Max Free to Clayton Kershaw today. My comparison of Kyle Hampton, what his ceiling could be, is basically like comparing a very young guy to a Hall of Fame player. Um, so I'm not going to say that. I'll, I'll say it to you offline. But Kyle Hampton can literally do everything on a football field. And people rave about him every way possible. I don't know. You Remind me. Because you, you don't have him in your top ten, right? No, I actually have him at number one. I was going to make a joke oh, okay. if you didn't say so, that and be like, actually, he didn't make my top ten. But <laughs> um, Well, was there something negative about his combine, but then his pro day was really good, or am I wrong on that? There was something like people weren't as impressed, but then he made up for it. It's like, who cares? Look at his college tape, dude. He was an unbelievable player. The thing I think about with Kyle Hamilton, I actually really watched a decent – Yeah, I watched a decent bit of Notre Dame games this season. Every single time I watched them play – I knew Kyle Hamilton was on the field, which is huge for me. If I'm taking you that this high up in the NFL draft, I want you to be an impact player every single time you step foot on the field in college and you dominated. Kyle Hamilton did exactly that. I watched him make one-handed interceptions. I watched him make the ESPN top 10 multiple times the interceptions he had what this season. What was the play where he was he was on the left side of the, the left hash on the field and he went all the way to the – was that against Florida State? Yeah, it was against Florida State and he made that, that interception. That play was unbelievable. No, exactly. Like Kyle Hamilton makes plays all over the field. I think he's this kind of ball hawking safety where that he's gonna make he's gonna come up and hit people and it's he's hard. All, yeah. And he's also gonna he's got hands, he's gonna make plays. He reminds me of, you know what, I'm not afraid to say it. He reminds me of an Ed Reed, he reminds me of a Troy Polamalu, he reminds me of any of those playmaking safeties that you can think of that you watch throughout the NFL. I think he's gonna wreak havoc, make plays all over the field. I think that this guy is gonna be his true star. I think he has Hall of Fame level talent. That's how good I'll, I think he is. I'll I think say, he's the best player in the I'll draft. Say my comparison. If you're gonna say Ed Reed, I'll say my comparison. Okay. 
not what would not how this guy started out the position he plays now because he really doesn't play one position Jalen Ramsey okay I like it you can line this guy up and like Jalen Ramsey doesn't really play cornerback anymore he's basically just like a freelancer wherever he wants to line up is where he lines up whatever he wants like I don't think he has like other than if the team's in zone coverage, he probably has to play zone. I don't think there's many rules attached to him. I think Kyle Hamilton could be the same way. I really do. Like a really, really good run tackler um, from the from the second level, you know, second and third level, and just a ball hawk in the in the secondary. I, I think he can be that good. I, I really do. That's a crazy comparison, but I think this kid's that good. No, I think he's just as good as anybody in the league. I think Kyle Hamilton is I, – th- I think this guy is, like, going to be the best player out of all of them in the draft. That's why I put him at one. Ben, who did you put at one? I got Jordan Davis. Okay. Jordan Davis is the definition of a game wrecker. And that's what I was talking about, what I didn't always see from Aiden Hutchinson. What, we saw a lot of it from Aiden this past year, but Jordan yeah. Davis was doing this for years, and he just did it at a higher level this, this last year, but he was great the year before. Um, Jordan Davis reminds me, and I doubt he's the same size because this guy was the size of a truck. He reminds me, there's two guys he reminds me of. Vince Wolfork uh-huh. and Haloti Nagata, or Nagata, I think his name was, the, the great yeah. Baltimore Ravens. These guys were just massive, but they were so much faster than how they look. Same, uh, the guy for the Buccaneers. Um, help me out. Oh, um, I could I can picture him, the Hawaiian guy. Don't know yes. why I can't think of his name. Star, star. No, no, no. Why can't we think of his name? Is it like Star? No, Star Latuli is the guy for the Bills. Um, why are we drawing a blank on? Look his it name? up. Look yeah, it up. This is pissing me off. I can't believe we can't it's, think of his it's name. That guy. He's the guy that clogs up the middle anytime you want to. Uh, you know, uh, like you, we could throw this guy's name out all day. The guy that plays for the Bears has been great for years as well. I need to look up his name. Um, Vita Vea. Vita Vea for the I Bucks. knew I was going to be mad. Look up the guy I'm thinking of from the Bears. He's on the Bears defensive line. Um, just run stuffers, but if you if he's the guy like if you throw a pitch to the left, he's coming right over your center. He's going to chase you down from the behind. You want to talk about a motor? This guy's motor. Every single play, he's coming after you. I, I think he's the definition of a game wrecker. He like people were joking about it about him being like a Heisman guy. If any defensive guy w- was going to get in, he uh-huh. got the vote. Like he literally got votes to come in like third or fourth. And it was very deserving. So like I, I think he's just the, the biggest game wrecker that there was in college football last year. That's why I have him at my number one defensive uh, prospect. Did you get the guy for the Bears yet? Akeem Hicks. Thank you. That's yeah. exactly who I was thinking of. Just absolute game wreckers. Don't run. You can't run the ball up the middle on these guys because their arms are as long as the highway, and they're so much more athletic than than they get a lot of credit for because of the way they look. Just un, just go look up this guy's combine too. Jordan Davis was ridiculous in the in the broad jump and in the end of the forty. It was just he's ridiculous, man. Ben, you know what? I don't hate that pick because you could be hundred percent right. We I don't think be- he goes number one overall. I just no. think he, I think he's my favorite prospect. Yeah, I don't think he goes number one all either. And you know what? I kind of agree with you on that, man. Like, this could be one of those where you look back on the draft and he ends up being the best defensive player out of all of them. It's not a sexy position. Like, Vita Veo gets a lot of love, but it's that's kind of rare for a defensive tackle. 
No, it definitely is. I mean, like Aaron Donald's easily the best defensive tackle to ever play in the history of the NFL, you know, but like there's guys like I remember on those Steelers defenses, like Brent Kiesel, like Casey Hampton, like Vince Wilfork. Those guys Who's were all the, the Steelers have someone. Um, Cam Hayward. Cam Hayward. Yeah. Like there's a lot of good defensive tackles in the NFL. Yeah, like those guys will never win Defensive Player of the Year. Aaron Donald's a freak freak, so he was able to. But, hey, if Jordan Davis ends up being that good, then he could be be another one of those guys and wins Defensive Player of the Year just like that. But this guy in the middle, man, he completely clogs it up. You really can't do anything with him. I don't hate that pick at all, Ben. Um, I think he immediately changes the defense for the better. No, I agree with you completely. I've seen him project to go to the Chargers. If the Chargers threw him on that oh defensive line, that would, <laughs> yeah, that would not even be fair. I honestly hope that happens. I, I like I like the Chargers upcoming. Yeah, he's gonna get he's gonna get the nickname Big Sexy wearing those colors. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, Ben, let's talk about it though. Here, man, we got the number one overall pick. Obviously, we have still next week. Let's talk about it now, though. Who are you taking if you have the number one overall pick? So, if you would have asked me months ago, I would have taken one of the offensive linemen, either the kid out of NC State or Evan Neal out of Alabama, because I think you have to protect Trevor Lawrence. People are like, okay, well, they franchise tag Cam Robinson, so they're not looking that elsewhere. I still think they should take an offensive lineman because you can never have enough. That's not what they're going to take. Because I'll just, I mean, they're going to pick Aiden Hutchinson or Trayvon Walker. Those are like, Ben, just looking at the odds. So if I was deciding between those two, I would take Aiden Hutchinson. Um, I think he would be better in the Lions since he's a, just a northern kid. I think he's from that area and he played at Michigan. So it would be cool for him to stay in the state of Michigan. That's just for storylines. But I think Aiden Hutchinson does go number one overall. I just don't know if he makes the Jags that much better. I really don't. Yeah. He helps. He'll, he'll help. But I don't know if he makes them that much better. Like, I think if they if they're projected like five wins, I think they go from like like I don't I don't know if, I don't know if he changes. Maybe they go to six or seven. Like I, not, I don't know. I don't think you really changed it that much for him. I mean, they already have not QB Josh Allen, but defensive lineman Josh Allen. Great. If you all remember, yeah. he's a, he's an absolute beast. I personally don't think they should go that route either. I think you already invested the number one overall pick in Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence didn't have great success rookie season. You have that whole Urban Meyer debacle. Go out, get him your protection. You'll never regret protecting your number one overall investment. You already have so much invested in Trevor Lawrence. You already, for crying out loud, gave the bag to Christian Kirk, which was ridiculous. And just one more point on the offensive lineman, because I agree with you. Yes, they franchise Cam Robinson, but why can't you take another tackle and then instead of paying Cam Robinson a lot of money, replace him with a cheaper guy? Mm -hmm. Like have Evan Neal, let's just say Evan Neal, because I'm a Bama guy. Let's say you take Evan Neal. Evan Neal can play, let's just say, right tackle for his rookie year. And then what if you don't want to pay Cam Robinson a huge bag? Okay, move Evan Neal back to left tackle where he's normally used to playing for a cheaper option. That's why, like, that's the part I don't get. Um, GMs are smarter than I am. They always have their reasons. But I just don't know if a defensive end – that's where it goes back to my point. It's not – it's Is the Jags GM smarter than you are, though, Ben? They've been in picking in the top we'll ten about our whole lives. This is his first year drafting because it's Doug Peterson and, and someone else now. So um, we'll see. Uh, I, I think they take Hutchinson. I think there's a decent amount of Jaguars fans that would boo the pick. I, I, like, not not at the draft, but I think on TV or on Twitter, if you go to Jags Twitter after the pick, I, I don't know if everyone's going to be very happy about the pick. 
I agree, man. I I don't like the pick personally. I think that they should go offensive but my, lineman like, here. Me not liking sh- the pick is not against Hutchinson. It's just I don't think a defensive end is going to make their team that much better. I just don't. I agree because I mean Jacksonville been in our in our lifetimes it's been a revolving door at quarterback and they've been in the top they've been in the draft in the lottery constantly they've honestly been the laughing stock franchise in the NFL yeah they were they were a couple plays close to making a Super Bowl that's all good and fun and all but then they are right back in the top ten again in the NFL right back draft in the number one number two overall pick. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think that the Jags need to go ahead, go all in on give, putting Trevor Lawrence in the most successful spot possible. Have a fun offense, man. Make this offense fun. Put tre- Make Trevor Lawrence – give him the ability to be successful. That's what you want to do when you have a young guy like this. You have Travis Etienne coming back as well. You have playmakers all over offense. Give him time for crying out loud to get him the ball. Trevor Lawrence can run, too. He's a dual threat. Let Trevor Lawrence be comfortable. Let him be a playmaker. I also think looking at the Bengals, they drafted Jamar Chase when everyone was like, get alignment, get alignment to protect bro. They went the offensive route to make their offense absolutely dynamic. Mm-hmm. Well, the Jags have made their offense, I'm not saying it's dynamic, but more a lot more dynamic than they've had in the past because they went mm-hmm. out and got receivers. Um, they have a really good running back in, in James Robinson. They also have ETN is going to come. James, James Robinson, that's his name, right? Yeah. And then they have Travis ETN, who we didn't get to see much because he got hurt. So go get the linemen to use these weapons because Lawrence can't use them if he's getting hit every play. You're not going to be able to run the football if your offensive line's not that great. Like, just try to score as many points as possible and just figure out the defense when you can. And I don't know. That's I think the Bengals just kind of laid out a blueprint. Like, you don't have to take your biggest yeah. need to be successful. I mean, that's just me. Like, I agree with you completely. Shoot, if anything, they should maybe even trade trade out of that number one overall pick and get That's more picks. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah, because they definitely but need all it, the help they can get. Is it a sexy number one pick though? I don't know if it is. Yeah, I'm. See, I'm with you on that, man. I don't think there is really one. Nobody wants to trade up to take a quarterback. I don't even know if you could get good value out of trading the first overall pick. Let's yeah. put it this way. I really think this is going to be one of the most unexciting drafts that we've seen in a while. I think these quarterbacks could sit on the board there for a hot minute. I would not be shocked at all to see something like that happen. Um, ben, anything else you want to cover on NFL before we get up out of here? Did you see the report? Oh, uh, Debo Samuel yep. requesting a trade. Yeah, I saw a report. And he that also he... said he doesn't want to play wide receiver yep. and running back. Why? You're, you're devaluing yourself. I think the way he looks at it is that he was already balling out when he was playing just wide receiver. And on top of that, unless he gets a big time contract, why would he not just play wide receiver where he can last a long time rather than playing both positions where he's going to get banged up even quicker playing running back, you know? When he was just a wide receiver, he was not a top five player in the league. Probably not even top 10. He was great. But when he switched to do everything for the 49ers, he was like MVP caliber player. Like, I just think he's devaluing himself in a, in a time where he's trying to get a massive contract say you'll do anything and everything for a team get the bag and then say nope i don't want to play running back what they can do take the money away yeah that is that is a very good point there ben i don't disagree with you at all on that one yeah i think it's definitely i can't blame debo though the way i look at it if i'm debo is you're playing with a quarterback that is below average you're the entire offense playmaker you deserve to get that money that they're not paying to the big time QB. You should be the highest paid player outside of obviously the quarterback, no matter what's going to be highest paid, but you should be one of the highest paid wide receivers in the I NFL. Agree. So I definitely agree with him on that. 
did you see the report that Baker, if Baker was cut today, the Steelers would pick him up the next day? I don't know if it's true, but I thought it was interesting. I think that definitely is true. If I would not be shocked at all to see the Steelers pick him up. I mean, the Steelers will be able to get something out of Mitch Trubisky, but I think at the end of the day, the fact that if Mitch Trubisky doesn't work out, you could have Baker. I think that makes you feel a little bit better about what you have going on. Just thought it was interesting. I didn't disagree or agree. I mean, they in, unfortunately do have a quarterback spot open. Um, so... Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I think Pittsburgh's going to let things play out. I think if Willis is still on the board or Pickett, I, still hope I think Carolina Tomlin's going to go. I still hope Carolina takes Kenny Pickett, man. That's what I want to see happen. <laughs> or Drake, yeah, or that. Yeah. I don't think there's many good options for Carolina right now. Yeah, not at all. Um, anyway, Ben, I think when we come back on here on Wednesday, I think we'll have a better idea of when some certain guys are going to go, where they're going to go. I think we'll have a better idea of a lot of things. I'm ready for it, man. Let's do it. Um, anything else from you before we get out of here? No, sir. Anyway, guys, we appreciate everyone who tuned in to listen to me and Ben chit-chat with y'all for a little bit. Um, we'll have some more stuff for y'all at, at next week. We'll have some more draft stuff. We'll probably have a Monday draft reaction pod. And that's about it, guys. We appreciate everyone who tuned in, and we'll talk to y'all again soon. <laughs>